The Holy Spirit comes, to, uh, comes at Pentecost. When the day of the Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, at that time, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? The Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, or Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Now, we might think that the story of Pentecost begins in Acts 2 in the New Testament when God poured out his spirit. But Pentecost actually begins long before that. Uh, it begins right near the beginning of the Bible, actually, uh, in the book of Exodus, with the ancient Israelites gathering at Mount Sinai. And every year the, after that, the Israelites would celebrate Pentecost. They would celebrate it during the wheat harvest to give thanks to God, but also to remember the day that they stood at Mount Sinai and received the words or commands of God. Uh, so way back then, the, the Israelites had just been rescued from slavery in Egypt, and they were now beginning a new life as God's people, a new kind of people. And at Mount Sinai, God spoke to them about what that should look like. So Mount Sinai was, was where this group of newly freed people took on a new identity as a new kind of community for God. They were no longer slaves within the empire of Egypt. They were now a people committed to God, rescued by God, known as God's people, and they should be defined by God's character. And what God told them at Mount Sinai about being this new kind of community was revolutionary. It was, it was nothing like any other community that the world knew at that time. Uh, this was to be a community without injustice, without exploitation, without inequality, without poverty or selfishness or envy or hatred or sin. Instead, it would be a community, God said, where everyone was valued the same. Everyone would support each other in love. Everyone would be heard, no matter who they were, and everything everything would be handled for the good of each other. So this was a community defined by the grace of God. 
As the Bible often described it, it would be a community where everyone loved God with all their heart, soul, minds and strength, and therefore loved their neighbor as themselves. Now that was the plan as they stood at Mount Sinai so long ago, but it didn't always turn out quite like that because ancient Israel kept ending up looking just like all the other nations of the world rather than looking like this new people of God. We often begin, don't we, with good intentions. We're the same, you know, we begin with good intentions, but for one reason or another, we can easily just go astray, go off course and end up where we never intended to. And without the intervention or, or help of others, above all of God, without forgiveness, without new starts and a, and a bit of hope and, and redirection, we would probably think everything was lost. But as ancient Israel met every year to celebrate their Pentecost and the new fruits of harvest were there, it was all a reminder of that new identity God had given them so long ago at Mount Sinai. They, in other words, they remembered that things had been lost before, but that God had rescued them and brought them somewhere new, not just physically, but in their thinking as well, in their heart, soul, mind, strength. So Pentecost, the Old Testament Pentecost, really called their minds back to Sinai to think again about the kind of community God had called them to be. And I think our Christian Pentecost each year can also be an opportunity for us to do that, if you like. Maybe today for you, for me, for us as a church can be a day of new or maybe renewed commitment to God. The events, when we get to Acts 2 in the New Testament, the events that here we read about, this gave rise to our Christian celebration of Pentecost. It clearly has some links, Acts 2, with ancient Israel's meeting with God at Mount Sinai. So, so we fast forwarded, so we had Mount Sinai, I should do it that way, shouldn't I, because you're Mount Sinai, and then we fast forward thousands of years from that to the first century CE and Acts chapter 2, and verse 1 says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now that's no accident. On the very day when, when the Jews remembered how their ancestors long ago had gathered together in one place, Mount Sinai, Having just been saved from Egypt, now we read in Acts 2 of another gathering together of a newly formed people, the followers of Jesus now. And it happened just after God had done another great rescue. Jesus had just died and risen again to save the world. And, all of, and on that very day when they were, everyone was remembering that, Mount Sinai, when they gathered together, we told they were gathered together again, the Christians. And then in Acts 2, we read of a sudden rush of noise that says it's like a violent storm. And we read of tongues or flames of fire. Now, those two things had been a really big deal at Mount Sinai as well. If you read Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 19, it tells us that there was the sound of thunders and lightning at Mount Sinai and the appearance of fire when God spoke the commandments to ancient Israel there. And in fact, the, the Hebrew is very interesting. Um, the word thunders in Hebrew, so when they were at Mount Sinai, it says about the, the sound of thunders, or literally the thunders can literally mean voice. It's really what the word comes from, or voice is. Uh, and the word lightning literally, more literally means flames or tongues or fire. So really interesting, isn't it? So there's even clearer links then with 
what's happening in Acts later on. Mount Sinai, God, God spoke to ancient Israel and there was storm and there were flames of fire. And now the same thing happens in Acts 2 when the Christians are gathered. Now, there was also a Jewish tradition. We don't know exactly where this began, but uh, a well-standing Jewish tradition that said that when God's voice was heard at Mount Sinai, it was seen, this is partly because of the way the Hebrews written, they saw the thunders, it says, they saw the voices. There was this belief among the Jews that actually when God spoke, it was seen, and it was seen as flames of fire, and then a, a tradition developed that, that um, said that those flames of fire, the voice of God, separated out and were heard in all the different languages of the world. So that the, the idea was that God's message from Mount Sinai hadn't just been for Israel, it had gone, it had been heard from Sinai by every single nation of the world. So that was a Jewish tradition that quite possibly was already being shared around by the time of, of Acts chapter 2. And what happens in Acts 2, the, the flames of fire separate out, they rest on the Christians, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin speaking in other languages, so that people from all over the world who were there in Jerusalem said, we can hear them, we all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. And then Peter stands up, he tells them what it's all about. He says, this is just what God had promised he was going to do for the world. He tells them about Jesus, about Jesus' death and resurrection, and how Jesus is therefore Lord of all. He's Lord and Christ, he says. And then, a bit like Moses at Mount Sinai, Peter calls the people gathered on Pentecost to make a choice, to make a commitment to God. Moses did that with ancient Israel. What are you going to choose? Are you going to choose life or death? Uh, Peter stands up now on Pentecost in Acts 2, Verse, 20, verse 38, he says, uh, repent. What that means is change your thinking or, or turn to God and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because the promise, he says, is for you and your children, for everyone, even those far away, he says. It is for all people that God makes this call. Now, we might think at that point, think, well, we've heard we've been there before then. You know, God has done this before and called everyone to commit to him and it didn't work very well. And that is why it's so important that we notice the extra thing that God did this time. This time he poured out his spirit to be in the lives of anyone and everyone who answered that call. Everyone who committed their lives to following Jesus, he gave the spirit. The Holy Spirit is what makes the difference now between this just being another call like the other ones where we try, but we can't fulfill it. We can't do it. Instead, now, this is something that God is doing with us and in us through his spirit. And it therefore will change us and change the world as it's as it's shared. So on Pentecost today. Uh, on Pentecost today, or in fact, any day, any day can be our Pentecost in this sense. It's a day when we make our commitment to follow God. And the wonderful thing is this, God makes his commitment to be in us by his spirit, working with us through us by his spirit to make things new. So isn't that wonderful? Uh, many people thought of Sinai a bit like a marriage uh, between the people and God. And in a way, we can, we can see that as well. You know, what, what's it mean to be committing to God? A bit like a marriage, we commit ourselves to him, but he commits himself to us.
to help us. Now, I was thinking about that because commitment is a word we're not too keen on today. People are a bit nervous about making commitments. But I look, we make commitments to all sorts of things every single day of our lives. For example, if we take on a financial commitment, maybe a subscription, a mobile phone contract, a mortgage, we've committed to something. We're going to pay that bill every month. When we borrow something, perhaps from a friend, we are committing to returning it to them. In our friendships, we commit to each other's well-being. We look out for each other as friends. If we go to work, we commit. We will be there at a certain time when we start work. We will do those tasks that we're given to do. And that's our commitment in our work life. In our neighborhoods where we live, we commit, don't we? You know, these aren't written, always written down. But when we live in a community, and if we live with other people, other houses near our house, we commit to living and behaving in certain ways for the good of healthy community in that street that we live or whatever. As citizens of this country, we commit to living by the laws of this land. Every single day we do that. When you get in your car, you commit to following the rules of the road. You will drive on the left-hand side. Why? Because we all understand that committing to all doing those things will keep people safe. We make commitments as families. You know, we, in our homes, we live in certain ways, don't we? As families. And of course, our marriages, we make commitments to our spouse. Now, the point of that list was to show you, look, as human beings, we make commitments either written ones or unwritten ones, all the time. You know, commitment is part of our lives and we shouldn't be afraid of it because then we say, well, what about God? Because surely he's the most important thing of all. What about Jesus? Have we made a commitment? When we commit to all these other things, many of them that don't really matter, they're not a big deal, whether you subscribe to Netflix or whatever. And yet, have we even thought about Jesus? How he committed himself to us? He has blessed us. God has blessed us since the day we were born. God has given us Jesus, his son, to save us. Jesus died and rose again for you. And he gives his spirit to everyone who asks him. So God gives and gives and gives and gives. You know, remember, God is absolutely free to do whatever he wants. But he decides and is happy to commit himself to us and our well-being, even to go to the cross for us. So today, I think he's calling for our response to follow him. Every morning as we wake up, it is an opportunity to commit our lives to following God that day, who always has our best interests at heart. Today and each day, we can follow Jesus in what he called the way of life. So each year, the ancient Israelites, you know, and still today, they remembered how their ancestors stood at Mount Sinai, having been rescued from slavery by God, and God told them what they must do as they follow him. Each year, churches celebrate Pentecost. We remember the day in Acts 2, when people gathered and God poured out his spirit, and when they all heard about the wonders of Jesus who had died and risen again for, for us. And it says that on that first day in, in Acts 2, thousands of people, heard and received that message. They committed their lives to Jesus that day. And now he, here we are, Pentecost Sunday, 2023, in this place at this time, we're gathered together. And God calls saying, will you follow me?
Maybe for some of us here, some of you, it may be the first time you've ever thought about making that commitment to follow Jesus in your life. Maybe for others of us, we made that commitment, commitment in the past, but maybe we've sort of forgotten it a bit. It's become a bit of a bit lost by the wayside. And today, maybe you want to come back again and recommit your life to God. Maybe for others, you're absolutely there, 100% anyway, but today you just want to say, yes, Lord, I, I believe. And you want to just say that again today. For all of us, even if you're actually not, not in any, maybe you're not even there yet. Maybe you're still not sure. You're still just thinking about these things. You're question, you've got a lot of questions for God. Look, God says to all of us, the promise is for you. I give my spirit, he says, to help you no matter where you are in that journey of faith. God is there and his spirit is given to all who ask him. So wherever we are, however we feel, Pentecost reminds us that God is here. And just like the ancient Israelites at Mount Sinai, just like the people in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, God is still the God who loves us and rescues us, forgives us, gives us a new start, a truer identity as his children. So wherever and whenever, today, tomorrow, next week, God stands ready with open arms to welcome you into this wonderful story of him saving the world through Jesus Christ. And if you want to begin that journey today or reaffirm your place on that journey already, then as I pray now, give your own prayer to God saying, Amen, yes, Lord, to all that he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that before we were even born, before we even had a thought of you, you loved us. Thank you that your love, it's always just been. It's, it's never taken away. Thank you that the love that you know give, gave your son and that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Thank you that that's done. That's, that's not in doubt. That's not in question. He stopped. He's not thinking about it. He's done it. Jesus has died and risen for us. So thank you for your commitment a costly one for you to save us from our sins and to give us new life. And here we stand, Lord, may we almost imagine like we're among that company at Mount Sinai or we're among that group gathered together in Acts 2 and we hear the wonders of God. We hear of Jesus who you have made Lord and Christ because he died and rose again. But may we hear that call today to believe, to give our lives to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and to receive the Holy Spirit so that, so that this will be the beginning of the rest of our lives with you. Lord, whether we've never made that commitment before today, whether we've made it every day for a long time, Lord, though for all who feel ready in their hearts, we say our amen and we thank you that by your spirit, you'll keep us and watch over us and shape us and guide us. May we listen to the Spirit, Lord. Sometimes we close our ears. Sometimes, as Paul said, we quench the Spirit's flame. We're sorry for that and help us not to do that, but to always listen and to always fan that flame to, to a fuller extent so that we are filled more and more with your Spirit. And we pray this in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Okay, we're going to just close. Uh, there's tea and coffee if you'd like to stay for refreshments. If you want to chat to anyone about all this stuff, please do. You know, there's lots of Christians here. And um, if you want to know a bit more about what that means to follow Jesus, you know, we're not going to, yeah, we're not going to bear down on you and tell you this, that, you know, we, we just love to share with you as Christians what it, what it means to follow Jesus and all the difference he makes. So don't be afraid to ask someone.